one verse tonight. I'll read some other ones in a moment. Ephesians chapter 5, one verse, verse 18, all right? Would you read this with me? Read it with me tonight. Here we go. And be not drunk with wine. Hold it, hold it. Everybody needs to read that. If you don't have a Bible, look up on the screens. The words are up there. Verse 18, and be not drunk with wine. Isn't that a good way to start the sermon tonight? You know, you know it's going to be a little bit about alcohol in here in just a minute. Be not drunk with wine. Ready? Wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Somebody tell me that word spirit there. That's got what kind of an S to it. Isn't that a capital S? So that's referring now to the Holy Spirit of God. Leave your Bibles open. Let's talk some more about the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the privilege to be in church tonight. And I pray that you'd bless now the Word of God. Speak to us. Help us tonight. And God, as we set about this week, may we be filled with the Spirit. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you think back the last Sunday evening, then you may recall that I was going, I told you I was going to take a couple of services, a few services, and preach on the subject of holy who? Holy who? Now, there are a number of things throughout our Bible that are referred to as being holy. For instance, God is called holy. He is a holy God. The tithe, don't look down. The tithe is called holy. God's people are called and called to be holy. We're called holy, but we're also called to be holy. And guess what? That Bible that lays right there in your lap tonight is called the Word of God, but it's called holy. But the holy that we're thinking about in these services is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, one and the same. The reason that I'm calling these, uh, 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 this series Holy Who is because there's so much ignorance and a ton of indifference when it comes to the work and the ways of the Holy Spirit. You know, many people sit in our churches today and they're just like that crowd in the city of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 and verse number 2. When Paul got there, here's what he said. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. You know, there's a lot of people that sit in our churches, uh, service in, service out, week in, week out, and they have no idea who the Holy Spirit really is. Now, I blame a lot of that on the preaching from the pulpit, but uh, the truth of the matter is, I'm glad our church believes in the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Holy Spirit of God. Somebody says, preacher, I'm a little bit leery about preachers who preach about the Holy Ghost. You know something? One of the things that's happened to our independent Baptist churches is we're so afraid of going out on the limb that we don't even climb the tree anymore. But I tell you, our Baptist forefathers were shouting about the Holy Ghost long before the Charismatics ever came on the scene. And the Holy Ghost is just as much for us as the people of God as he is for anybody else. I've got to tell you, I don't pretend to have all the answers uh, when it comes to the, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit. I don't even know what all the questions are, but I do have a Bible. You have a Bible tonight. And the Word of God outlines for us the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, before I go any further, I want to stop tonight and reemphasize two things that I told you last week about the Holy Ghost, about the Holy Spirit. Number one, remember last week, I, I emphasized the fact that the Holy Spirit is a real person. He is a real person. He's not a force. 
He's not just an influence. He's not an influence. He's not a mist. He's not protons, electrons, and neutrons. The Holy Spirit of God is a real person. You read through the Bible. He possesses all the attributes of a real person. Last week when I was reading that text in John 14, Jesus kept calling the Holy Ghost. He kept calling him he and him. And throughout the Bible, he is referred to as he or him. He is a real person. You believe that? Say amen. The Holy Spirit of God is a real person. And then the second thing that I tried to emphasize last week, and I'm going to reemphasize this week, is that the Holy Spirit is God. You see, the Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus is God, and God the Father is God. It is not like this. It is not God the Father, and then just a little bit under that is God the Son, Jesus, and just a little bit under that is God the Holy Ghost. It doesn't work like that, friend. Hey, no, sir, it is God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Ghost, they're all three God. Now that's known in the Bible as the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Sometimes we refer to that as the Trinity. Now the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. I get that, but the truth, the teaching of the Trinity is found in the Bible. That's the reason in 1 John 5, in verse number 7, we read these words. For there are three that bear record in heaven. Are you with me? The Father the Word. Who's the Word? John 1, 14. In the beginning was the Word, the word, word was with God, and the Word was God. And John 1, 14, and the Word was made flesh. The Bible said there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. Now read the rest of it with me. And these three are one. Now, we don't worship three gods. We worship one God, but our one God is manifest in three different persons. Let me stop and say this. The Holy Spirit is God. He is just as much God as God is God, just as much God as Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. I want to take a moment to prove it to you, and then I'll bring the message tonight. In Acts chapter number 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. The Bible tells us there a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Before we go any further, right at the end of chapter number four, a man by the name of Barnabas has sold a piece of land. The church is in great financial straits. They're in, they're in financial great need. And Barnabas took a piece of land and he sold it and he brought the money that he got off that piece of property and he laid it down at the disciples' feet. And no doubt Barnabas was praised much for what he had done. His sacrifice, his love for the Lord, his, his desire to lighten the financial load that the church was under. No doubt many people slapped him on the back, talked about what a good Christian old Barnabas was, and Ananias and his Sapphira saw all that. Well, they wound in on the action. So the Word of God said they had a piece of property, a piece of possession, a, a piece of land, and they too sold that piece of property. Well, the Word of God said this in verse number 2. The Bible said, but they kept back part of the price. Now, by the way, that was up to them. God didn't tell them to sell the property anyway, uh, but they kept back part of the price. But here's the problem they made out like they gave all the money to the church. And the Bible said there 
that his wife also being privy to it. I can see her, he maybe say to her, he said, uh, you know, we got this piece of property over here uh, off of uh, Mizpah Church Road. And, and uh, you know, we ought to sell that piece of property and let's act like we're going to give it all to the church. But let's put half of it in the bank, give half of it to the church, but we'll tell the church that we gave it all to them. And maybe they too will appreciate us like they did Barnabas. Well, she said, honey, that is a great idea. We might even get our names in the church bulletin, honey, if we do that. So the Bible said she was privy to it. And the Word of God said they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's good. They didn't have to bring all of it. No way. But then the verse number three said this, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to thee? Say it with me now. Why are you lying to the Holy Ghost about that? The Bible said, and to keep back part of the price of the land. So they lied about it. Peter said, you lied to the Holy Ghost. Now come with me to the next verse. Whilst it remained, was it not, in thy, uh, was it not thine own after, I, after it was sold? Was it not in thine own power? Why then, why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men but unto, hold it. Did they lie to the Holy Ghost or did they lie to God? The answer is yes. You know why? Because the Holy Ghost is God. He's just as much God as Jesus is God and just as much God as God the Father is God. So last week I gave you three elementary truths about the Holy Ghost of God. Well, tonight, I want us to come now to Acts chapter number 5 and verse number 18. And tonight I want to preach on this thought right here for just a little bit. I want to preach on the subject of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. When I say filling of the Holy Spirit, it's not F-E-E-L-I-N-G, the feeling of the Holy Spirit. It is the filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, in our day, what's happening is a lot of people are looking for a heavenly filling when in reality we ought to be looking for a holy filling. Can I have an amen? It's not so much the feeling that we want as the filling that we want. Now, obviously, this text before us tonight is about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this. The filling of the Holy Spirit is different from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when you get saved, when you become a child of God, listen to me, you experience salvation. And there's a lot that goes into the package of salvation. For instance, the Holy Spirit does so much for you the moment that you get saved. Can I stop and say you wouldn't even be saved apart from the working and the wooing of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him unto me. So it is the job of the Holy Ghost to convict you of your sin, to make you aware of how lost you are, and to convince you you need a Savior to start with. Ladies and gentlemen, that is called the conviction of the Holy Ghost. You know something, in our day we don't see a whole lot of conviction much anymore, do we? I can remember going to church when the tears would flow and the mascara would fall and, and the people would get under Holy Ghost conviction and man, they would sit there. Sometimes they would tremble. Sometimes they would grab the back of the pew to their knuckles, turn white. You know what's going on? It was Holy Ghost conviction. And everybody's in this room tonight has been saved. You have been convicted by the Holy Ghost of God. You can't even be saved 
without the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God convicted us of our lost condition and made us aware of our need for the Savior. But then when we came to Jesus, the very moment we got saved, He entered our heart. He regenerated us. He gave us spiritual life. Then He baptizes us, places us in the body of Christ, seals us to His wonderful, His presence, and then he becomes the earnest of our inheritance. All of that takes place the very moment that you get saved. All of that is included, excuse me if I could use the term, all of that's included in the package of salvation. Nowhere in the Bible are you ever taught to seek the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not in the King James Bible. There's nowhere in the Word of God where God commanded, hey, what you need to do is get you get baptized by the Holy Ghost. Look at me. It already happened. It happened the moment I trusted Jesus. I was baptized by the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ. Somebody said, Brother Tim, have you ever been baptized by the Holy Ghost and evidenced that by the speaking of tongues? No, I have not. But I tell you what has happened to me. I have been baptized by the Holy Ghost and it helped me to control the tongue that I got. Can I have an amen? Yes, sir. I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen, you're not told in the Bible, I'm not told in the Bible to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but we are told in our Bible to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. And unlike those other things that I mentioned tonight, right here in our text lays it all out for us. So let's get started real fast. Let me talk about three things about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Not feeling, not feeling, not feeling. Come on. Hey, you can be saved without feelings. A lot of people are looking for some kind, of a, some kind of a feeling to overcome them, but that's not what you're saved by. You're saved by faith through grace, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But after you get saved, by the way, I'm glad I feel saved from time to time, but whether those feelings are there or not, guess what? Bless your heart, I've been saved. But I'm told in the Bible I'm to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let's get started. Three things tonight. First of all, look at verse 18. Let me talk a little bit, number one, about a practical contrast in this verse. A practical contrast. Now watch this. I'm going to move along, but i got to preach a little bit about alcohol while I'm right here. Now this verse starts off with a negative and switches to a positive. Now the negative is this. Be not drunk with wine. We're in his excess. And better, you better be saying amen somewhere along right in there because I'm going to get awful nervous about this if I don't get a good amen. When the Bible said don't be drunk with wine, can I have an amen? Wherein is excess, but here's the positive, but be filled with the Spirit. Now I'm amazed, let me stop and preach on this a moment, but I am amazed of this new fad that is sweeping our independent Baptist churches anymore. There's two things, in case you haven't heard of this, recently there's two fads, two new things that are moving into the independent Baptist movement. Number one, quitting our Sunday night services. That's going on in a lot of churches and they want to guise it, they want to disguise it like this. Well, we're not going to meet anymore on Sunday night because we want to encourage our family, our church family to spend time with their own personal family. Stop, hold it, wait a minute. What do you do on Saturday? My high leg, if we're going to quit our Sunday night services around here. Hey, I can't think of a better way to spend time with your family than to spend time with your family right here in the house of God. Amen. We ain't about to quit our Sunday night services. 
they can quit. They can make it sound all spiritual, lovey-dovey and fuzzy and give you that kind of warm feeling on the inside. We just going to stay home, cook out with our family, when in reality they're going to run to Walmart, mow the yard, do the laundry, uh, wash it, whatever. Brother, they ain't spending time. Hey, best place to spend time with your family and your welcome is right here in the house of God. We ain't quitting our, I hate to use those Hebrew words, but we ain't quitting our Sunday night service here. No, sir. Spend time with your family over here at the house of God. The second fad is social drinking. Hey, it's sweeping our independent Baptist churches. I can name you two right now in the vicinity of our church right now that has quit preaching against alcohol and switched over to the social concept of drinking. Two right here in this area, independent so-called churches, Baptist churches, that have, that have been swept up into this garbage that's going on in our day, that they think it's okay to drink socially as long as you don't get drunk. That is happening in our churches today. Now, if you want to know where we stand on it here, look at me. We're teetotalers, no pun intended. What's that mean? We're teetotally against it's what that means. Hey, we're not just against getting drunk, bless your heart. We're against drinking alcohol anyway. Years ago, somebody came to, my, came to our church here and told me that, preacher, now look, if somebody tells you that I bought beer, I just want to tell you, preacher, that I bought it because there's a new concoction that I read about where you can take mix some beer and, and some fertilizer and pour it on your yard and it's going to make your grass grow. And I just looked at them and I said, I appreciate you telling me, but why you want to do that to your grass? Can I stop and say I'm against alcohol? Hey, can I stop and say we're 100% against alcohol in God's people, for God's people, by God's people, through God's people. I'm telling you, we're against that mess here at this church. These churches that are switching over to that now, oh, it's okay to drink alcohol. And some of y'all are going to go to them places some of these days probably. And the preacher's going to get up. He's not going to say anything about it because he's going to say, there's so much other stuff to preach about anymore. We just dare not mention that. We're just going to let that alone. Well, bless your heart over here. We're going to preach about it from time to time. I want to lift a voice of protest against that because I'm here to tell you, friend, it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not right for the people of God to have anything to pour it on your yard, much less pour it down your throat. Can I have an amen? Well, somebody said, I just take a social drink. Well, let me ask you, so how many drinks does it take to get you drunk? Now, just stay with me. Logic, man. So you say, oh, preacher, it'd probably take me five drinks. Well, if you take one drink, then you're one-fifth drunk. Am I right? If it takes 10 drinks, then I guess if you take one drink, then you're one-tenth drunk. The old proverb said this, first the man takes a drink, then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes the man. Can I tell you something? There would be no alcoholics today if they hadn't took that first drink. Why do you want to venture into that area anyway? Uh, maybe get yourself locked down in some kind of an addiction or a bondage, bless your heart. It'll never happen if you never take the first drink. Can I have an amen? These churches, I know I'll get off this. I will. I know we got to go. I got to tell you, so what are they going to do now? Rewrite their church. Uh, what's that thing we hang on the wall? The church what? Covenant. Our church covenant around here said we're going to abstain from the sale and the use of intoxicated drink as a beverage. What are they going to do now? Go back and have to omit that, put, or put outside of it, oops, we didn't mean that. 
I'm telling you, if you go into that kind of church, friend, you need to get out of that mess before you mess your life up. You need to get somewhere where they're going to take a stand against that stuff because I don't know one good thing that's ever come out of a bottle of alcohol. Not one good thing has ever come out of a bottle of liquor. Not one good thing. It's a proven fact that one person out of every 12 that takes the first drink is going to get in bondage to it. They're going to become what they call an alcohol. It is a proven fact. You look it up. One out of every 12. Let me tell you how ridiculous that is. So just suppose you go over here to PTI Airport and you're going to fly from Greensboro to, to O'Hare Airport in Chicago. And so you get on there, you board the plane, you put your seatbelt on, and right before you leave, the, the guy, the, the, uh, the, the, the um, pilot comes on. He said, this is your pilot speaking. Thank you for flying the friendly skies of Delta or whatever. Thank you for being a part of our crowd today. I just want to tell you, we're going to be cruising along at an altitude of 30,000 feet. We should have arrived at O'Hara Airport at, at uh, approximately 2.05. There is a 300-mile tailwind blowing. We may get there in five minutes. I'm not sure about all that, but we're on our way. We're going to get there, and our cruising speed at 30,000 feet is going to be around 350 miles per hour. Oh, and by the way, just before I go, when we reach our altitude of 30,000 feet, cruising along at 350 miles per hour, with a 300-mile tailspin, a tailwind, uh, the bottom of the floor of this airplane is going to open up, and one out of every 12 seats is going to fall out. Can I ask you a question? Are you going to stay on that airplane? I don't know about you. I'm vacating that thing pretty quick. If one out of every 12 seats are going to, that floor is going to open up, one out of every 12 seats is going to fall out of that thing. I'm telling you, I'm getting off that plane. I ain't taking that chance. Why, pray tell, tell me, when God in his word said, wine is a mocker, strong, strong break, drink is raging, and whosoever deceived thereby is not wise. That's just a polite way of God saying, a man that lifts a bottle to his lips is a fool. Why in the world is anybody going to do something like that? With, with sane common sense, why in the world would anybody want to do that? And by the way, it ain't nothing but poison anyway. I can prove it to you. I'm just using logic, man. When you get drunk, what do they say? He's intoxicated. If some toxics, it's poison. Why are you going to put that poison in your body? Your body belongs to the Holy Ghost if you're saved. You're the temple of God, friend. Why are you going to put anything in your body that's going to, going to take control of your life and possibly cause you to lose your family? Paul said, don't be drunk with wine. And by the way, to get drunk, you got to take a drink. So the best way not to get drunk is don't take a drink. Man, am I smart. Don't know it. Don't be drunk. That's the negative. Now let's get off of that because we got to go. Here's the positive. But be filled with the Spirit. Don't give yourself to the control of alcohol. Give yourself to the control of of the Holy Spirit. Now wait a minute, evidently, evidently, there is a comparison to be made because Paul didn't say, do not commit adultery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no comparison there. He didn't say, do not commit murder, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Evidently, there's no comparison there. But evidently, there is a comparison between a man who is under the influence of alcohol 
and a man who is under the influence, the power, and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't think I'm being irreverent here. So I said, did our preacher just say that a man that's under the control of alcohol that's drunk is like a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit? I didn't say that. The Bible said that. Oftentimes, throughout the Bible, when somebody got filled with the Holy Spirit, somebody stepped back and said, man, that guy's drunk. Let me show you an incident where that happened. In Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.13, others mocking. They got filled with the Holy Ghost in the upper room. Man, they came out of that place preaching like their britches was on fire. Man, they started talking about Jesus and pouring that crowd and said, you by wicked hands have taken him and you've slain and killed the prince of life. But God hath raised him from the dead. And man, when the more they preached and the more cut and convicted that crowd fell, somebody spoke up and said, I'll tell you what, these men are full of new wine. And then a couple of verses later we read this. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it's but the third hour. What's wrong with them? They're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now there's some comparisons evidently to draw there. I'm not going to take a lot of time in it, but I will tell you this. A man that gets under the control of alcohol many times, oftentimes, is changed into another person. If he, prior to getting drunk, was uh, very quiet, very withheld and reserved, let that old boy get a little few shot of alcohol in it. Man, he's running his mouth. He's going to whoop everybody in the, in the place. Can I have an amen? Say, what happened? Oh, that alcohol changed him into another person. You let an old boy, I mean, he's chinchy with his money. He's tight. I mean, he won't give nobody nothing, and he gets full of alcohol. Hey, everybody come up here. I'm buying drinks. It's on the house. What happened to him? He's got full alcohol. Can I have an amen? You let no boy, he won't talk to a woman, can't even look a woman in the eye in a sober state. He gets under the influence of alcohol. He's mad. He's calling every woman in there, baby and sweetie and honey. And can I get your number? And all. What happened? He's changed. That alcohol done changed him into somebody that he's not. Bless your heart. Let me tell you, when you and I get filled with the Holy Ghost of God, he will lift us out of our weak anemic state of Christianity and he'll change us into another person. You say, preacher, can you prove it? I'm glad you asked. Look at this verse. Speaking about Saul, before Saul, before they came to anoint him to be the king of the nation of Israel, he's shy, he's timid. He is hid among the stuff, the Bible said. Being from the south, I know what stuff is. Don't y'all? I got a yard full of stuff. Most of us got porches full of stuff. Most of us got trunks full of stuff. We know what stuff is in the south. And Saul has hid himself among the stuff. But then the old Samuel prophesies to Saul and he says, Saul, the spirit of the Lord will come upon thee and thou shalt prophesy with them. Now read it with me. And shalt be turned into another. Boom. The spirit of God will lift us out of our weak and anemic state of Christianity and he'll change us into another person. Yes, sir. I'm talking about, number one, a practical contrast. Let's move on. Look again at verse 18. Let's talk about a positive command. Notice in verse number 18, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something? I normally try to shy away from telling people what the will of God is for their life. But let me just tell you something. If you're saved, I'm going to venture out on a limb here and tell you it's the will of God for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look back up verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding 
what the, what the will of the Lord is. And immediately the next verse, boom, starts talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Watch this. It's God's will for you to be saved. It's God's will for you to be baptized. It's God's will for you to join the church. It's God's will for you to tithe. It's God's will for you to tithe. It's God's will for you to tithe. And it's God's will for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, it won't be, you, I mean, you'll be, you'll be free with your money when it comes to the things of God. There is a command here. Notice this command. Look at verse 18. It's in the imperative tense, which means it is a command. We think about the commands of God. You know, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Well, it's just as much a command of God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're breaking the will of God. We're breaking the word of God if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it's in the present tense, and it simply tells us, hey, keep on being filled. Keep on being filled. It's not just like the baptism. That's a once and for all act. But, buddy, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God is something that you and I have to continually do every day of our life, seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to seek the baptism. That's happened. It's done. You don't have to seek the, the sealing of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit. Those are one-time events. But the feeling of the Holy Spirit is something that happens over and over and over again in our lives. We read about the, uh, the disciples in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost being filled with the Holy Spirit. But over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts, we find them being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens? I'll tell you what happens. For we, we leak. I heard about this old boy in revival meeting. He's a country boy and he come to the altar. And he prayed every night, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Well, one, his friend got burdened about it. He's going to altar every night. And so his friend slipped up there and he heard what he was praying. Please, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And his friend got down beside him, kind of knew him a little bit. And he said, don't do it, Lord. He leaks. <laughs> Can I tell you something? Every last one of us in this room leaks. And we have to constantly, continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in the imperative tense, constantly, continually, but it's also in the inclusive tense. But be ye. You read that? That's speaking to you. I read that. Somebody said, oh, I'll tell you, this filling of the Holy Spirit is just for preachers. Well, every preacher needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I give you that, but can I tell you something? So does every singer. Everybody gets up here in this church to sing. I ought to pray before they get up here, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Every deacon needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Every Sunday school teacher, every Christian school teacher, every bus worker, every nursery worker, every nursery worker, <laughs> every ch children's church, we all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every man, every woman, every teenager, every child, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Last of all, watch this, a powerful change. I'm telling you something. I said a moment ago, God, the Holy Spirit, will change us into another person. You know something? We need the filling of the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to this. So I started thinking, where in the Bible does somebody tell us that they're filled with the Holy Spirit? In the New Testament, we know it's a different day in the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit of God, under a different dispensation, worked in different ways. But since the day of Pentecost, I got to thinking, where in our Bible, or even since the days of Jesus, where in our Bible did somebody say, look at me, or I am filled with the Holy Spirit? And can I tell you something? I could not think of one person in our New Testament that said, 
I am filled with the Holy Spirit. The closest thing had ever come to it was in Luke 4 when Jesus, quoting the prophecy of Isaiah, and Isaiah 61 verse 1 said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's the closest thing. Somebody said, well, preacher, why doesn't nobody say in the New Testament they were filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to tell you why. Because the Holy Spirit is not in this world to brag about Himself. The Holy Spirit is in this world to exalt Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in this world to lift Jesus up. John 16, 13 says this, poof. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He'll guide you in all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he'll show you things to come. He's not here to glorify himself. Look at me. He's here to exalt Jesus. Maybe that's why we never read of anybody in their New Testament saying, look at me, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. So what happens when a person is filled? I don't think it is accidental or coincidental, but I think it is fundamental that verse 19, 20, and 21 follows the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you three things, verse 19. What happens to a person who gets full of the Holy Spirit? Number one, he or she will be joyful. They will be joyful. Look at verse 19. Speaking yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. When you see somebody that's singing or whistling, what do you think about them? Oh, they're happy. The Bible said when you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, it will make us joyful. Now, if you're sitting here tonight miserable, you're not full of the Holy Spirit. If you're sitting here tonight and you're joyful, could be, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't come to this world to give you enough religion to make you sick and miserable. The Holy Spirit wants to make you joyful. Can I have an amen? Joyful. He'll make us joyful. Look at verse 20. He'll make us grateful. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit will make you grateful. Not grumble, not complain. Can I have an amen? Somebody that grumbles and complains is not filled with the Holy Ghost of God. Because the Spirit of God's going to do what? He's going to make you give thanks to God always. Unto God the Father in the name of our Lord. He's going to make us joyful. He's going to make us grateful. Look at verse number 20. He's going to make us graceful. Look at verse 20. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then he starts talking about husbands and wives. Oh, brother, do we even have to go there? Can I tell you something? You get, guys, get filled with the Holy Ghost. And ladies, get filled with the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you something? You say, preacher, we can't get along for nothing. I honestly think we hate each other. Can I tell you something? Get filled with the Holy Spirit. You know why? The Holy Spirit lives in you. It's not going to argue with the Holy Spirit lives in her. The Holy Spirit lives in her. It's not going to argue with the Holy Spirit lives in you. What's the answer to marital problems? Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? I wish that time preaches. It'll make a difference in your wedded life. It'll make a difference in your work life. It'll make a difference in your worship life. What do you need to do? What's the greatest need for God's people tonight, including this preacher? Get filled with the Holy Spirit. When is the last time you asked the Holy Spirit to fill you? First thing you, oh, you and I ought to do when we wake up every morning is look up into heaven and say, God, this life is not mine, this body is not mine. So right now, in the opening moments of this day, I give myself to you. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. 
Use me today to glorify your son Jesus in my life, in my actions and in my attitude. May I glorify Jesus. How do you do that living in this world with Biden in the White House? <laughs> Only one way. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Only way we can do it. Can I have it? Amen. amen. That's the answer. Let's pray. Father.